Good morning. Good morning. Turn to Daniel 10. They will be looking at Daniel chapter 10. We've been studying many of the prophecies in the latter chapters of Daniel recently. Today's chapter is somewhat unique in that it doesn't contain any prophecies per se. Rather, it's an introduction of sorts to the final uh, prophetic messages that God presents to us through Daniel in chapters 11 and 12, which we'll be covering in the next few weeks, Lord willing. But yet there's still plenty for us to learn from and be encouraged by in Daniel chapter 10. So let's read that together to start off. Daniel chapter 10 and starting in verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel whose name was Belteshazzar, and the message was true and one of great conflict. But he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. On the 24th day of the first month, while I was by the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Euphaz. His body also was like burl. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult. Now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, while the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, a great dread fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, yet no strength was left in me. For my natural color turned to a deathly pallor, and I retained no strength. But I heard the sound of his words, and as soon as I heard... The sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. Then, behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I am about to tell you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision pertains to the days yet future. 
When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And behold, one who resembled a human being was touching my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him who was standing before me, O my Lord, as a result of the vision, anguish has come upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my Lord? As for me, there remains just now no strength in me, nor has any breath been left in me. Then this one with human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. He said, O man of high esteem, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. Now as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength and said, May my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you understand why I came to you? But now I shall return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I am going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. So one of the first questions that might arise after reading this chapter is, who did Daniel see in this vision, and who is the one that is talking to him? I believe it's difficult to be absolutely certain but there is compelling reasons to conclude that Daniel has seen a vision of the Lord Jesus and then is spoken to by an angelic messenger, likely Gabriel, although we're not told in this particular passage. And let's take a moment to look briefly at some evidences for this. First of all, there's some clear similarities between Daniel's vision in the beginning of chapter 10, which we just read, and John's vision in Revelation chapter 1. In Revelation chapter 1, we read in verse 12, Then I, that is John, turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. You'll recall he was on the Isle of Patmos, where he had been exiled. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe reaching to his feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. John's vision was clearly of the Lord Jesus. We know this because if you continue to read the Lord says to him, I am the first and the last, I was dead and I am now alive, etc., and so on. So you noticed, hopefully, the similarities in the descriptions in these two accounts. Again, difficult to be very dogmatic, but it certainly seems like the vision that Daniel has seen here is very comparable to that of John in Revelation 1. Secondly, we see that the individual who speaks with Daniel in the remainder of chapter 10 presents himself, for example, in verse 11, as one who has been sent. 
Daniel 10, verse 11, he said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I am about to tell you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. This language is often used of or by God's angelic servants. We might take note of chapter 9 of Daniel, where Daniel was praying and confessing the sins of his people and praying for the people and also praying for understanding. And he said in verse 20 of chapter 9, Now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. He gave me instruction and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed, so give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. We see in this section that Gabriel was sent. The command was issued and he went forth. We also see Gabriel in this passage tell Daniel that he is highly esteemed and this same language is used here in chapter 10. In verse 11, we saw that and then we see it again in verse 19. O man of high esteem. In Hebrews chapter 1, a verse that uh, a brother read in the Lord's Supper this morning, we see the following instruction given or teaching given about angels and angelic beings. Hebrews 1 verse 13, But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? These were things that were said of the Lord Jesus by God the Father never to an angel. And then it says in Hebrews 1.14, Are they, that is the angels, not all ministering, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? So we see that the person speaking in the majority of chapter 10 of Daniel was sent we also have a familiar pattern here in chapter 10 that we've seen before. For example, in Daniel chapter 8. There we read a short passage here starting in verse 15 of Daniel 8. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, standing before me was one who looked like a man. And I heard the voice of a man between the banks of Uli, and he called out and said, Gabriel, give this man an understanding of the vision. So he came near to where I was standing, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, Son of man, understand that the vision pertains to the time of the end. Now while he was talking to me, I sank into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me stand upright. He said, Behold... I am going to let you know what will occur at the final period of the indignation, for it pertains to the appointed time of the end. And we see here 
this pattern where Daniel seeks to understand a vision that he has seen and where a command is issued to an angel. Once again, here in chapter 8, it's Gabriel to go and provide Daniel with an understanding. And we see again, Daniel is very frightened and faints, and he's strengthened by this one. Again, here in chapter 8, it's Gabriel who stands him up, makes him stand upright, and then explains the details of the vision to him. So again, it's difficult to be 100% certain, but there's evidence to strongly suggest, I would submit, that here in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel has seen a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ above the waters of the river Tigris, and then he is spoken to by one who was sent, an angel, who is going to speak to him about the things to come. And that's what uh, we're going to look at in chapters 11 and 12. Now, you might be asking yourself, as I did when I was studying this passage, why is this important? What is the benefit of chapter 10 of Daniel to us, which seems devoid or empty of the kind of prophetic content of its neighboring text, and it feels more like an introduction to what comes next. I believe the answer to that question emerges when we start to meditate on and contemplate or think about the significance of what is happening in the life of Daniel at this point. First of all, we see that God is using Daniel to record and present unique truth, prophetic truth. Unique, I say, because these teachings are not found in too many other places in Scripture. Prophecies that will be for the time of the end, as it says uh, in many passages that we've already looked at. Whether or not you agree that the vision here is one of the Lord Jesus or who it is that's speaking to Daniel specifically, it is clear in this chapter and also in the other examples that we looked at that God is providing Daniel with these prophetic visions. He's the one that's listening to Daniel's prayer and sending angelic beings uh, to explain the meaning of the visions to Daniel. God is at work. Secondly, we see that there is great conflict and spiritual warfare taking place as it pertains to the angels being sent to bring these truths to Daniel. And we see that clearly here in chapter 10, perhaps more than in any other place in God's word. A very rare glimpse into this realm of spiritual warfare. And there's much for us to contemplate and think about. And we'll look at that in a little bit. But first I want to look at this first of these two points, namely that God is very interested in presenting Daniel, and I would say in presenting us with the truth about these things. And I think a wonderful teaching is captured for us in this chapter and it is hidden in the phrase that we read twice here that says, Man 
of high esteem. Remember we saw that in verse 11. He said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem. And in verse 19, O man of high esteem. This word, if you look at it, it has a, a literal connotation or a literal meaning of something that is desirable or something that is precious. Something that is desirable or precious. God so esteems Daniel and his people, and I would submit us as well, that he engages some of his most trusted messengers to provide explanations to the visions and illuminate the truth of what is to come in the future. You might recall that phrase in the New Testament that talks about things into which even angels long to look. Let's look at a few evidences of this that are in the chapter. First of all, we have this angel Gabriel. Again, we can't be certain that it's Gabriel in this particular account in chapter 10, but we've seen in previous chapters, namely we looked at 8 and 9, where it was the angel Gabriel that was bringing these messages to Daniel. Hundreds of years later, Gabriel will appear to another man, Zacharias, and tell him that his wife will bear a son. Right? John. And Zacharias has a little bit of trouble believing that this could actually happen. And he expresses his doubt. And what does Gabriel tell him? He says, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And I have been sent. There we have that again to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. So this one that has been sent to Daniel on these numerous occasions is not just any rank-and-file angelic being, right? Somebody who stands in the presence of God. Secondly, we see another character here mentioned in this chapter, Michael. Whoever is speaking to Daniel in chapter 10, whether it's Gabriel or another angel, this one who, as we've seen, was sent, this one was aided or helped in verse 13 by none other than Michael, another angel that we encounter from time to time in the scripture who clearly is not simply just one of the rank and file. We read there in verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days or standing opposite me for 21 days and then behold Michael one of the chief princes came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. 
Michael is described here as one of the chief princes. Later on, in chapter 12, he'll be referred to as the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people. It seems clear from Scripture that one of Michael's main duties as one of God's angelic servants was to have charge over the protection of the nation of Israel. You'll see at the end of the chapter here in verse 21 that he's again referred to as this angel is speaking with Daniel as Michael, your prince. And of course, you'll note that Daniel in the previous chapters was crying out to God on behalf of his people, Israel, right? Confessing their sins and so on and so forth. And so in this bid to bring these messages of truth to Daniel, God is using some of his most trusted servants in the angelic realm and even dispatching one of his chief angels to run interference to make sure the message gets to Daniel, right? We also read in verse 21, however, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. The messenger here, whether it's Gabriel or another angel, tells Daniel that although he is engaged in tireless warfare with principalities and powers, which you read about in the verses right around verse 21, he will take time to present these truths from God to Daniel, and he was specifically sent to do so. All of this effort is being undertaken so that Daniel can hear and understand and write down the things that are recorded for us in this book, which have been preserved for us so that we can be here reading it today and these weeks preceding and Lord willing to come. And these words will be preserved for those that will read it in the end. When these events are taking place and the prophecies and visions will be fulfilled and become clear and serve as an encouragement and evidence for which they are ultimately intended. Now I want you to think a little bit about how prophecy works in God's word based on what you've seen. If we think about other prophecies in the Old Testament scriptures, hopefully an obvious set of examples comes to mind as it pertains to those prophecies concerning the Lord Jesus Christ himself. His life on earth during his first coming, his suffering and his death. We look at an example here, we can observe a few interesting points. First of all, these prophecies are often given hundreds or in some cases perhaps even thousands of years ahead of time. And there are many of them concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, these prophecies are all fulfilled concerning the Lord Jesus, and the New Testament scriptures carefully point out this fact to us in each case, sometimes even explicitly, saying phrases like that the scriptures might be fulfilled, right? 
And thirdly, these prophecies would have been very difficult, in fact, in most cases, I would say impossible, to fully understand before the events took place. However, once the events did take place, the prophecy suddenly became very clear. The Old Testament scripture was validated. The person and work of the Lord Jesus was validated to those that would see and understand and believe, and faith and encouragement would result. So to illustrate this, let's take an example from Mark chapter 15. There were numerous examples to use. I just picked one. We'll look at two sets of verses in Mark chapter 15. We'll start with verse 27. Mark 15, 27. It says, They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And he was numbered with the transgressors. Then if we skip down to verse 42 of Mark 15, verse 42, When evening had already come, because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea came, a prominent member of the council, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, and he gathered up courage and went in before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate wondered if he was dead by this time, and summoning the centurion, he questioned him as to whether he was already dead, And ascertaining this from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen cloth, took him down, wrapped him in the linen cloth, and laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out in the rock, and he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. We know from other parallel accounts, like in Matthew, that this was a new tomb, and it was actually Joseph's tomb that he had hewn out of the rock or had somebody... Uh, do that for him. Now imagine you were reading Isaiah 53 in the time of the prophet Isaiah. So hundreds of years before the Lord's coming to earth. And you read the following verses, which are there in Isaiah 53, verse 9. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. And verse 12, Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for or on behalf of the transgressors, the sinners, people like you and me. From these verses, you would not, ahead of time, be able to identify Jesus, born to Mary in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth. You would not be able to identify the rich council member Joseph, who laid Jesus in his own new tomb. However, once these events took place, somebody who knew the scriptures in Isaiah could see this clear and obvious fulfillment, 
and encourage themselves and others about the truth of God's unfailing word and about what the Lord Jesus had done. And specifically, could have greater faith in reading those verses at the end. He himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Many times I think we fall into the trap of assuming that prophecy is there for us to know what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, and exactly how it's going to happen. But it's not exactly like that in much of the scripture. It's encouraging to know some of the things that we can see and know from the prophecy, but it's also significantly intended for those that will look at it while it's happening and will look back on it after it's happened. Here in Daniel chapter 10, we see God himself going to great lengths to send word to Daniel, a man who is praying fervently for his people, humbling himself before God, confessing the sins of his people as if they were his very own, fasting and weeping as he considers Israel's displacement and captivity and humiliation. God sends word to him about what he has in store for Israel in the time to come, and he takes pains to explain the details of what is to come. But not all of the details were made clear to Daniel. We can see this if we skip ahead a little bit and peek into chapter 12. Daniel seeks to know more and more about the time, but he is told to seal up the book until the time of the end. He's told that in verse 4. In verse 8, he says again, My Lord, what will the outcome be of these events? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. Not all the details were revealed. And so we see that God delivered these truths to Daniel not only for him, but also for us. And not only for us, who can look back and see some fulfillment, right? We've been studying uh, very clear fulfillment about um, the, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, and Alexander the Great and the four generals that came up after him, clear and, and uh, undeniable fulfillment of some of these things. And yet some of these things, as we know and as we've been learning and will continue to learn, are yet to come. And so we can be encouraged when we see how perfectly those prior things have been fulfilled that those future things will yet be fulfilled exactly as they were written. But not only for us, also for those of his people who will be present in that time that is to come. What great favor and esteem God has shown us through the truths that he gives us in his word. The other noteworthy element in chapter 10 here is this raging spiritual warfare that we see going on all around Daniel. It's hard to read this chapter and not think of Elisha's servant in 2 Kings chapter 6. 
It says there in verse 17 that Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Right? The servant was worried because these men had come from King, I think it was King Ahab or something, uh, to come against Elisha. Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. We may also be reminded of passages like 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 3 where it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. However, let's not just recall scriptures such as these. Let's dig a little deeper and meditate a little bit more on the details that we have before us here in chapter 10 so that we might come to an even fuller appreciation of these spiritual realities. In verses 12 and 13 of Daniel 10, we see the following clear truths. It says there, From the first day that you, Daniel, set your heart on understanding these things, your words were come, and I have come in response to your words. But then we read, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. I think most of us are aware, but just in case, that the word prince is often used in scriptures for both good and evil spiritual beings. And we see that made clear to us in this passage. We've already seen the word prince applied to Michael, God's prince who stands watch over the people of Israel and who we see again in Revelation leading the Lord's armies against the armies of this world and the armies of evil. But we can also recall verses like Ephesians 2.2, which speaks of Satan as the prince of the power of the air. Or Ephesians 6.12, which speaks of rulers and principalities, spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. This latter verse would even later on remind us that our struggle is against such forces and not against mere flesh and blood. Here in these verses in Daniel 10, we see clear evidence of the struggle. Daniel has prayed for understanding. His prayers were heard, it says, even from the first moment. And a messenger was sent. And yet spiritual forces of wickedness withstood that messenger for 21 days. So great was the importance of the message that Michael the archangel came to aid this messenger in the struggle against these spiritual forces so that the word of truth could come to Daniel. And furthermore, so opposed was Satan to the giving of this message to Daniel that he marshaled his forces to fight against its delivery. Forces so dreadful in this case that at the end of the chapter, the angel confesses to Daniel that no one else is able to join him and stand firmly against these forces except for Michael. It's pretty serious, right? 
21 days, as we interact with one another and with the lost, are we mindful of the struggle going on around us? Satan is seeking to devour souls and shipwreck the lives of God's people. And so often we skip along in blissful ignorance like Elisha's servant with veiled eyesight. Remember what Jesus taught his disciples in the parable of the seed and the sower. For example, in verse 19 of that passage, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Now we cannot fight as those who operate in the realm of flesh and blood do, with sword and buckler or a gun or a knife. But the weapons we have been given are made clear to us in passages like Ephesians 6, and we've studied these many times, even at VBS. Consider these verses that come just after that well-known section in Ephesians 6 about the armor of God. Ephesians 6.18 says, And with all prayer and and petition, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth. This is Paul speaking. To make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. When we read a passage like this, it ought to be clear to us, especially in light of that passage I just read about the, the sower and the, and the devil coming and taking the word of God out of people's hearts before they can understand it that our prayers make a difference in what happens in the spiritual realm. If somebody's giving up like Mike did recently to give a gospel message, our prayers matter. When people are in the audience that haven't trusted Christ as their Savior, our prayers can make a difference. There is real warfare going on all around us. These verses exhort us urgently to be on the alert and pray at all times with this in view. We need to persevere to be faithful in prayer. We need to take up arms and heed this call to battle. There are not many of us. God calls all of us believers to be involved in in this battle. For his own reasons and purposes, he is engaging with us and beseeching us to be engaged each day with vigilance and discipline and focus. I'm reminded of a passage in Judges chapter 5 that I wanted to close with. It's the song of Deborah and Barak, and it tells of those who came to aid in the battle against the Canaanites, and it also tells of those who did not. 
It recounts how the army of Israel fought, but it also clearly shows how God was also fighting and intervened supernaturally with a great flood that mired the iron chariots of the enemy. In Judges 5 and verse 12, I'll read several verses there, starting in verse 12. It says, Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, sing a song. Arise, Barak, and take away your captives, O son of Abinoam. Then survivors came down to the nobles. The people of the Lord came down to me as warriors. From Ephraim, whose root is an Amalek, came down, following you, Benjamin, with your peoples. From Machir, commanders came down, and from Zebulun, those who wield the staff of office. And the princes of Issachar were with Deborah. As was Issachar, so was Barak. Into the valley they rushed at his heels. But then we read about the tribe of Reuben. It says, Among the divisions of Reuben there were great resolves of heart, or great searchings of heart. Why did you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the piping of the flocks? Among the divisions of Reuben there were great searchings of heart. Gilead remained across the Jordan, and why did Dan stay in ships? Asher sat at the seashore and remained by its landings. Zebulun was a people who despised their lives even to death, and Naphtali also on the high places of the field. So Zebulun and Naphtali did come and give themselves over in the battle. It says in verse 19, The kings came and fought. They fought the kings of Canaan at Tanakh near the waters of Megiddo. They took no plunder and silver. The stars fought from heaven. This is where we can see God's involvement. The stars fought from heaven. From their courses they fought against Sisera, who was the king of the Canaanites. The torrent of Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon, O my soul, march on with strength. Then the horse's hooves beat from the dashing, the dashing of his valiant steeds. Curse Meroz, said the angel of the Lord. Utterly curse its inhabitants, because they did not come to help, to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the warriors. Certainly the Lord doesn't need our help, but he has seen fit to work in that way, that he wants our help. He wants our engagement, and it does make a difference. We see those who joined in the battle that day and those who did not idling among the sheepfolds or reclining beyond the Jordan, relaxing by the seashore. Might we be encouraged and exhorted by what we see in Daniel chapter 10? Encouraged by God's love for us who counts us as precious and highly esteemed and desires to guide us into all truth and exhorted to be vigilant in prayer for one another. Specific and timely prayer for specific needs and situations and in speaking the truth to encourage and exhort and to save others that are in need. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this time that we've had to consider this passage in your word and we're so humbled, Father, as we
consider the resources at your disposal that you put into play for us. Those ministering spirits sent forth for the sake of us who will inherit salvation. The battles being fought to bring the truth to us, to fight against deception and lies of the enemy. We're certainly humbled, Father, as we consider the effort that goes on in the spiritual realm. And Father, we pray that we would be encouraged and exhorted to play our part in praying fervently and often at all times in the Spirit that we might take, take our part and take our place in your work, that we might be faithful servants and faithful soldiers for you. Father, we pray if there are any here that have not trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, that they would be mindful of those verses we read in Isaiah 53 about your Son who went to the cross, who was numbered with the transgressors, not because of his own sin, but because he was going there to make intercession for sinners, to bear in his own body their sins and their guilt. Father, we thank you for the food that's downstairs, and we just ask your blessing upon it. Bless it to our bodies and bless our time of fellowship together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.